You're listening to Impact Is Own, your home for the latest news, analysis, and opinions on Michigan State men's basketball with your hosts, Trent Valley, Luke Sloan, and Brendan Shabath. Hey, 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 this is the Impact Is Own. And if you're wondering why my mic sounds like I'm on Zoom, it's because it is. And if you're wondering why we're on Zoom, it's not because anyone has COVID or anything. We're all very safe. We're doing well. We're thriving. We have, as promised, two Impact legends joining us today. And I'm going to introduce them one by one. Of course, I'm Trent Valley. We've got Luke Sloan. We've got Brennan Spath. But hey, who wants to listen to us knuckleheads talk? Nobody. So here's who we've got. Julian Mitchell from KTTC Minnesota, former Impactor, graduate of Michigan State in 2020, one-third of Big Trust. Julian, how are you doing? I'm doing great. I'm doing great. Thanks for letting me back on. I I thought once I left that I would be canned. I'm not a superstar, so I thought it was over. But no, 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 that's just incorrect. You have a lifetime. Both of you have a lifetime contract on this podcast. That's (laughs) when you made the agreement to co-host this podcast back in 2019, 2020. You signed a lifetime contract. So even if you want to go, you're you're contractually not allowed. You can't leave. We better. Did Ryan call just like Ryan Cole just not answer the phone and then you had to call me after? Is that what happened? No, see no, that's Joey that's Ellis the wasn't thing about Izone. You guys, we we there's so many generations of Izone. We could have like a 2017 to 18 reunion and then like an 18 19 reunion. Like if we wanted a complete and full reunion, it'd be like 20 people on a Zoom call, which would be chaos, but probably also fun. Yeah, look, I I'm. I better hope that I get that same lifetime contract because I feel like I'm going to get squeezed right out as soon as I'm out of here. Get get this Optimus Slappy SOB out of here, you know, whatever. But Julian. The guy who is, has predicted Michigan State every single game is not yeah. allowed back. Oh, yeah. And and I almost nailed the Purdue score. We'll get to that later. But yeah. I, I do have to gloat a little bit about that. But, Julian, it is fantastic to see your beaming face representing Minnesota all the way up there. Uh, and, and also, we want to welcome in Natalie Queen. Kerwin, worker for News 10 right now, but announced last night that she will be joining Bally Sports Detroit. And uh, we have, that is huge news for us because we absolutely love cheering on our Impact alum. Natalie, of course, was on the Impact Is On with me and Julian. One third of Big Big Trust, I should also throw in. Natalie, welcome. Good morning. How are you? Good morning. Thank you for the warm welcome. I love it. I You've given everyone the whole story. Um, it feels great to be back, you guys. I've been wanting to get on this podcast all season and I'm glad we could find a time for Julian and I to both join so yeah three out of three of the big trust group if you listeners remember we'd always call ourselves that so the gang's back together yeah I'd like to think at least one person remembers the big trust days but you know hey I have a I have a couple of uh, I have two Julian notes number one he decided that East Lansing wasn't cold enough for him so he went to Minnesota and then number two, he's rocking the MSU Alumni Cup on the Zoom right now, which I just saw a moment ago. So he understood the assignment to a T. You know, I graduated and felt like I had to go full dad mode. Like, I need to let everyone know I graduated from Michigan, especially here, all these Gopher fans, you know, they, they want to ask questions. They think they're big time. No, let's be honest. You're sitting in the cell of the big <laughs> Let the big dogs eat. Dude, how do you handle that, all the Minnesota fans? How do you do it? It's it's hard. It's hard. The thing is, they just, they live in a dream world. And the good thing is, all the professional teams, 
knock them right back down the pedestal. It's just like they get humbled every single game. Okay, I, I kind of have a question for both of you guys because Trent and I on two-thirds of the current podcast are about to be graduated in three months here. What is your favorite part of not having to do school anymore? Like, for example, I just did a midterm before I hopped on this Zoom and it was interesting. So I need to know what are the best parts of kind of being done and then being kind of a young professional? All right, you want me to start with this one, Julian? Okay. Yeah, you go first. Okay. Well, I want to know your secret, honestly. Okay. Well, I'd say the best part about, I guess, being graduated from school is not having the homework and the assignments. I mean, that definitely, especially senior year, like what you're feeling right now, only a few months till the finish line, it's rough. You don't feel like doing a damn thing. Excuse my language. Um, well, it was weird, though, for Julian and I, because at, um, you know, COVID hit like right at the end of our senior year right so everything went online and it was just a mess and you know we were all supposed to go to the Big Ten tournament and the actual NCAA tournament it was a whole mess so the end of our senior year I mean it was rough as it was because everything went online and had to finish everything from home and that was a mess but I would say yeah not having assignments to do anymore and study but then at the same time, once you're in your career, there's different things that you have to study and start becoming more of a priority, right? Like, depending on what you do in journalism, like you're still studying your teams and doing things like that, but it doesn't feel like work, right? So it's, I mean, you're preparing for things and newscasts and games and live hits and whatever it may be, but it's, it doesn't necessarily feel like work. So I, I like that, you know, it, it's, I think, um, once you graduate, there's a lot to look forward to. You know, you're not worried about homework and tests anymore. It's more you're studying your games and you're studying your teams, which I like. So there's a lot to look forward to. There's light at the end of the tunnel, Luke, I promise. <laughs> Thank goodness. I am done with homework. Trent's yeah. and I, uh, Trent's also done with homework. So let the uh, yeah, I, I don't want to, I don't want to come on here and incriminate myself, but I haven't given my all on a single assignment since probably, I would say April of last year. So that's just, <laughs> I, I, yeah. It is what it is. Julian, you have a cherry on top for Natalie's perfectly articulated statement. I can say she, she hit everything. And <laughs> just to go from there, the, Luke, the thing you trade out, you trade out, you know, any math, any small assignments, all that kind of knowledge for, at least for me, knowledge about Minnesota high school wrestling, the knowledge that I have, the fact that this 185 bracket is going to be insane. is ridiculous. I yeah. Feel like Julian, Julian, I, I go and see on Twitter from like, you go from hockey to basketball to like wrestling to a feature story in like four days. You're, you're basically like the, the Don Kelly of, of the Minnesota area sports scene. No, no one's got more versatility. I'm just putting out that out there right now. If I, I don't know anything about wrestling or some of these sports that I see you covering. So you Natalie you talked about like new studying I'd have to I'd have to go to school on something like that right yeah. And that's, wow. yeah I mean that's kind of what I mean too like yeah Julian I I'm right there with you Luke like the amount of stuff that you cover is unbelievable right and I just yeah the wrestling and just the crazy sports maybe that Minnesota has that Michigan doesn't you know I'm not I don't know wrestling very much either. So it's, uh, you do have to learn some new sports, but it's, it's not bad though. I mean, yeah. Uh, I don't know. Well, Hey, you guys are both exceptional at your craft and that is why we are proud to flaunt you as impact alum. And Hey, let's get after it. We've got a lot to talk about here about Michigan state men's hoops.
what an up and down three, four day stretch. Uh, obviously we've got the win over, over Purdue that we'll talk about uh, first, but also a loss, a 17 point loss rather to the Michigan Wolverines last night, Brendan, Luke and I were there, uh, but let's start with Purdue. Let's get after it. Uh, the Spartans beat Purdue 68, 65 last Saturday, Gabe Brown leading the way with 13 points, Julius Marble with 12 points. A.J. Hogard with a nice 12.6 assist stat line. Max Christie with 11. Walker and Hauser with eight each. As you can tell, it is a true team effort that the Spartans really come together and take down the Boilermakers, who were at the time number four in the nation. So I want to toss this one to Julian first. What was your one biggest takeaway from that Purdue win? I think for me and the thing that I've seen, and it's been the best part at least about this Michigan State team, is when they lock in defensively, they can be a very good defensive team. And I thought they came in with a game plan that they executed to perfection. They were going to let Williams, Edie, single coverage, you know, you take what you get, we're going to body you up, and we're going to make sure that the three-point line is defended well. And I thought they did that very well, and it shows in, in, in getting that win there. And to me, that's the biggest thing with this team. This team is not loaded with talent. There's not a superstar. There's not some guy you're like, oh, get us a bucket, you'll save us, we'll, we'll survive off your play. They have to execute at a high level and <clears throat> coming into a game that <clears throat> was going to be big for locking up their tournament appearance. And we'll talk about that, but locking up a tournament berth, they needed to come in and execute and be locked in and be on their P's and Q's. And to see that truly felt like that this team at least has something and that when they lock in, when they get, and I don't know what it was, whether it was Gabe Brown, Tom Izzo, the leadership that they had in that game, the way someone got them locked in emotionally, mentally, this team can be good if that happens. And now we'll, we'll talk about, you know, the next game after that. But when that happens, you like what this team can give you. All right. You want me to go next? Natalie, you can go for it. Just continue to drive. We'll just hand it over to the other alum. Okay, perfect. So my biggest takeaway from that game is the team was locked in from start to finish energy-wise. And that's been one of the biggest issues this whole season is maybe they'll come out strong in the first half, lose it in the second or vice versa, have a slow first half, make a comeback in the second. And so I just, I, you could see that energy from start to finish and Michigan state held the lead for most of the time. And that was a big thing for me. And you can tell they were fired up and um, you know, a lot of different guys scored, as you mentioned in the beginning, like Gabe Brown being one of them, he's a guy that hasn't had much confidence this latter part of the season that you haven't seen score very much. And he finally started to get that back. And uh, you know, Another big part for me, which, you know, we'll hit on too, is obviously Tyson Walker's huge three-pointer at the end. But, man, it was the Walker-Hogard Walker show. I mean, I thought those two together worked so well. And you've already seen glimpses of Walker before that game too. Like against Illinois, he had 26 points total, 24 alone in the second half. I mean, so you can see his abilities to lead the charge. And that's, you know, that's been an issue with the Spartan team the last few seasons is they haven't really had a point guard to – lead the charge so I feel like Walker's becoming that guy and so I think just seeing um, Walker and Hogard together you know Hogard brings that energy he did well defensively on Ivy and it, you know obviously Walker just hitting that big shot at the end that was unbelievable and so uh, you know just the energy and seeing those two work together were my biggest takeaways and why we were able to win that game. I'm on par with you as well, Natalie, you know, seeing Walker, Hogard, Brown, really like a, a, a core group of five or six guys, all Hauser as well, all have pretty nice games. Michigan State won that game against Purdue like they won a lot of games in November. 
A lot of guys chipped in, led by Gabe Brown, started on the defensive end like Julian mentioned, and then they really just knocked down their three-pointers at an extraordinary rate in that Purdue game. It felt definitely like a throwback, which I know for for Trent and I and Brendan who've been following, you know, we've been at every, you know, polarizing win and, and terrible loss. It, it felt like we flashed back to like late October, early November, because they they nailed their threes. They locked down on defense. It was a very sound effort and everybody kind of chipped in. But obviously things would eventually take another turn, which we'll get into a little bit later. But it that felt like an old fashioned Michigan State win, at least uh, relative to this season. Yeah, I think you guys all hit the nail on the head, especially Julian and Natalie talking about how good the team can be defensively when they want and the energy they brought. It was unmatched against Purdue, not just from them, but from the Izone and the Breslin Center. And it really kind of, I felt like I went through a time warp and we were back in November when they were a top five defensive team in the country. And they, you know, had a great first half against Baylor and were beating teams like Loyola Chicago and UConn, two likely tournament teams. And it, it, it just, it, it really reinstated the fact that when everybody plays well they can win and they don't need a superstar to win but as you know we'll get into in a minute the margin for error is very small but Michigan State didn't make a lot of errors against Purdue they got out in transition they won the turnover battle Purdue didn't shoot the three well they the game plan went as it was supposed to defensively, as far as Edie and Williams go, Ivy got shut down, only took 10 shots in that game. Michigan State's defensive effort. I know Walker had the big shot late and Brown had this resurgence offensively. Christie had a good game too, finally, for the first time in a while. But it all started with the defense. So they turned defense into offense and got a big one. Yeah. And I know you and I talked about this too, Brendan, but to out-tough Purdue really takes a lot, and they were able to do that from end to end in that game, which was just – you don't see that very often against the uh, the Boilermakers. Yeah, and uh, speaking of the defense, Hogarth, I thought, was – you talked about with Ivy. Hogarth was fantastic. Like, I don't think yeah. I've seen him defend at that high a level against a guy who's going to be a top pick in the NBA draft. Yeah, I mean, he was special. Julian, I love that point, too, because Hogarth just plays like a football player out there. He's not afraid to put his body into you be a little bit more physical like he was with Ivy. And then when he gets downhill, he's almost unstoppable. Like much like Kenneth Walker III, another running back locally on campus, no one can stop him between the tackles when he's going downhill. And I swear, Hogard has one speed. Like it's just go full force. It always makes me laugh every time. Like on a fast break, I just start laughing because he, he keeps his head down like the way he dribbles. I don't know if you guys noticed that, but he's, he just got one speed. He goes full speed to the other side. It's, it's great. Yeah, we'll talk about the point guard situation specifically in a little bit because those are great points there. My biggest takeaway from Purdue was just, you know, Sloan and Brennan and I have been talking all year about who's going to step up, who's going to be the star, the leader of this team. I think we're past that point. And that's not just recency bias given the Michigan game, the Michigan performance last night. I'm just talking about right here, right now, two games left in the season. It is, it, I think we are past the point of who can step up and lead this team. I just think it's a team from top to bottom. I probably bored our listeners by giving one, two, three, four, five, six stat lines before we actually get rolled into this game, but I could have given more. You know, Marty Sissoko came in and hustled his ass off for four minutes. Uh, Marcus Bingham Jr. played some stellar defense against Edie when it really mattered in the second half. So I just think from top to bottom, this team doesn't have a star, but dang, dang it, they got like 10, 11 guys who can actually like play if they need them to. And it's, it's, it's honestly uh, going into March, 
in a year like this where I don't think there's necessarily a head and shoulders front runner that could that could bode well for you. But Julian, I'll go back to you. Did the Purdue win lock up this team's tournament bid? Because you teased it a little bit earlier. Yeah, I, I think so. And I was looking earlier today trying to look at the, the, the net ratings and net rankings of where they're at. And, um, I think they're – let me see if I can pull, pull it up here. But they have good records against teams that are in, in that quad one and solid against all the other quads as well. And I thought this was the signature win against the top-ranked team that you needed. Um, I think – what are they at, 19 and nine or something like that, whatever the record is, that they have – they've done enough to lock it up. Now, as far as where that seating will end up, I think we'll we'll see. I know I think they're penciled at a seven right now. Um, we'll see kind of what range that ends up being um, these these last couple of games here. But I think they're and I, I mean I think the only doubt for me that crept in was if they didn't pick up a win in this final stretch. Other than that, they get they get one win, especially this one. I think they're in. You know, Julian, building off that a little bit, and I'm interested in hearing, you know, the takes for you and Natalie on this. A lot of people, you know, believe that for Purdue could be a potential Final Four team. I know they've dropped back-to-back games now, but another reason why that win was pretty significant, not only punching Michigan State's ticket, is that that arguably is their best win of the season in terms of just the pure talent level and, and, and overall record of their opponent. Are you guys as high on the Boilermakers as, you know, I know Brendan and I, could both see them going to the final four, even with that loss to Wisconsin last night, as we record here on a Wednesday, but uh, what are your thoughts on Purdue overall in, you know, relevancy with how great Michigan state's win was over them? Yeah. um, I think they're good. Uh, And I think they have so many ways they can beat you, whether it's, it's, I mean, no one, I don't think anyone has an answer for Zach Heaney. Like he gets you down low enough in the post, just count as a bucket. Um, And then with Williams as well, and I mean, Ivy is, is Ivy. He's a top pick. He, he's fantastic. He looks great. My biggest question with them is when are they going to figure out that they need to lock in on the defensive end? That to me has been their biggest issue is that they just at times don't want to defend anyone. But I, don't know, I think a team like that, when it comes to March, what they have offensively and just the fact that I think they can and could flip that switch. I mean, I think they're great. And I think they have more that they can do and end up doing. They can peak higher, I guess, than an Illinois team. I think Illinois is really good, but I I don't know if Illinois has that next gear that they can go to. Yeah, I'm right there with you. I think Purdue is fantastic. I mean, they have what we don't. They have a few a few stars that can all have great nights, right? And E D, Ivy, Williams. I mean their starting five is fantastic. And you mentioned Illinois, Julian. I mean, I think they're a fantastic team. Every time I watch them, the way they just took down Michigan, um, you know, the way they've beaten us. I mean, they have an amazing starting five too. And Izzo even said Trent Frazier is like his favorite player in the league. I mean, that's a very talented team. The whole big 10 is unbelievably talented. I mean, it's, it's a, it's a tough league this year. And I, you know, I think Purdue is one of those teams that's just, you know, they were ranked number four for a reason. Now they've lost back-to-back games, but I think they'll figure it out. I mean, you know, it was, I mean, it was a close game against us, right? 68-65. If Tyson didn't hit that shot, it was tied. Who knows what, what could have happened, right? But, um, you know, I think Purdue is one of those teams that can make it far as well as in Illinois. And uh, I mean, other teams too in the Big Ten. It's it's just such a tough league, right? And Michigan State's a team that doesn't have that star. These other teams do and have multiple of them. So, yeah, I think Purdue is a team that can make it far. Natalie, are the Pistons going to pair Jaden Ivey with Cade Cunningham potentially this offseason? Brennan probably wants to kill me for that take, but 
Jabari Smith. Jabari Smith. Jabari Smith. Hey, it's a it's a guard driven league, they say. We'll see. I'll I'll uh, I'll be the insider on that. I'll keep you posted. Yeah. Hey, Troy Weaver is watched. Troy Weaver was at that game watching Jaden Ivy, Brendan. So just just saying, he also watched Johnny Davis when you and I were there. So Troy Weaver, yeah. big uh, Spartan hoops guy, apparently. Needs oh, to get down to games. We've had we've had some inside sources in the Breslin Center just like see him there. Like friend of the program Matt Merrifield, who was a freshman this year at WDBM, came up to us, Brendan, at halftime of the Wisconsin game, and he was like. Yeah, just to let you know, Troy Weaver's like sitting next to me watching Johnny Davis. And we were like, oh, that's very relevant. Thank you very much for that. <laughs> Dude, you got a little freshman insider. That's great. <laughs> Matt is the most mature freshman I have ever met in my life. Dude could pass as 25, I swear. WDBM, the pipeline is always healthy. You guys have left the pipeline. We're in the pipeline. Someone like Matt is entering the pipeline. I mean, we got recruits, five-star recruits everywhere. You guys are now retired Hall of Famers. The three of us are definitely like in our prime here. We're, you know, Trent LeBron, um, you know, somebody. Anyways, I digress. Which, which version of LeBron is Trent? Any, any. I don't care which one. Trent, Trent's LeBron right now. He's carrying the team on his back. He's, he's LeBron right now. He's Listen, carrying his club. The only, the only thing I would possibly be carrying on is Brennan predicted a 20-plus point loss to Purdue. You predicted a dozen-point loss to Purdue, and I said a four-point win, and it was a three-point win. So I'm going to take this second to gloat, but I'll try to get us back on track. Brendan, did the win against Purdue lock up the Spartans tournament bid? I think it did. If you ask some people, a lot of the people in particular who come out with a, a bracket watch weekly and – you know, these teams are locked. These teams have work to do. Michigan State is actually still in that work to do category. And I think that's just because of the opportunities to lose they have coming up. So if they lose to Ohio State and then lose at home to Maryland and then get bounced in the first round of the Big Ten tournament, I still think they're in, but it would give the committee a lot more to discuss around Michigan State. But well, that's the thing, right? It's like, it's the term lock. Like, are they a lock? No, but like, should they be in? Probably if the season were to end tomorrow. Yeah. I think yeah. the thing so too, I, Brendan, and you and I agree on this, is that Purdue win kind of anointed them into the tournament, but that shouldn't be like the floor. That shouldn't be like good enough, so to speak. Like in my opinion, and I know you too, and we'll talk about Michigan here in a moment, but this, this needs to be a concerted effort to continue to build this resume because you know, just beating Purdue and flopping the rest of the year really isn't good enough with the expectations this team has. So as important as this win was, the follow-up is going to be just as important, in my opinion, too, if they really want to do something in March. Yeah, they can't let the the high off that Purdue win ride for too long. And we kind of saw what happened in the following game. But I, I think they're in, and I think they're probably locked for a seven seed. And I don't think I don't think no matter what they do unless they go win the Big Ten tournament that's going to change all right so let's let's shift gears a little bit let's talk about the point guard situation Natalie had a little laugh talking about AJ Hogard and his speed uh we've also been talking about Tyson Walker and his effort and everything Julian who do you think should be starting because obviously they made the switch to put Tyson on the bench and then last night against Michigan they 
flipped it back, put Hogard on the bench. I understand some of that probably had to do with Hogard's illness, but Tyson Walker did, you know, hit the game winner against Purdue. Who, in your opinion, should be starting at the one? Man, that is uh, – that's what might be one of the toughest questions I think I have for this team, about this team, because I would – my gut, just off answering this, I would say A.J. Hogard. And to me, it is because the way this team is made up in terms of just someone who can get you a basket, who can score at a higher level, I think Tyson Walker can be that guy coming off the bench. Now, the biggest thing for me is he hasn't maybe accepted that role or wanted to take the shots that he can get. Even last, even, uh, last night, I thought there were a lot of shots he left out there on the floor that he can take and he can make. Um, and I think he would fit that role kind of better to me. I think early in the season when he was starting, he was caught between this idea of do I score the basketball or do I facilitate and get this offense rolling? And the thing is, there just isn't, they're just not executing at a high enough level on the offensive end for him to be able to take that time and facilitate and run things. He's got to get his baskets. And I think Hogarth does a little bit to me, at least a, a better job of doing that and also getting to the rim. I think he had a couple of times where he comes off that screen and he gets straight to the rim or he'll find Bingham or lobs, things like that, that I would prefer to have Tyson come off that bench, be the stronger shooter and come in and knock down shots off the bench. Yeah, that is a really tough question, right? And I think Izzo's been trying to figure that out too. He's been changing lineups and trying to figure things out, see what works with this group. It's hard because I think I've become a big Tyson Walker guy, just seeing what he's able to do out there. I mean, he's kind of become the guy with this group. He's had, you know, two big games. I can't remember. I mean, he's probably had some more too, but as of recent, I mean, the Illinois game with the 26 points and Purdue's game winner and, you know, other shots he took in that game. I mean, I just, I think Hogard has great leadership abilities. I think they both do. Um, Hogard to me, it can be a little on and off as can Walker too, but I don't know. I just, the way I've seen Walker step up and when he gets on a hot streak, he just, he goes and, and he starts hitting every shot. I just, I feel like he's the guy that, you know, I don't know. They, they both bring their own to the table, but I'm just a big Walker fan at this point in the season. I feel like he's just, he's, he's coming on and he's figuring out what needs to be done and I don't know it's, it's a hard question to answer but for me it's Walker I just feel like he's just the guy that's been able to make things happen when they need it the most at, you know in those two huge games well Brendan you always talk about you have the specific stats on assist to turnover ratio and like that's your thing Brendan's the Ken Palm Don I don't even know if that's a Ken Palm stat but it's a Brendan stat and Brendan always pounds it into my head so Brendan I want to ask you specifically we got a little tie here between the alumni like who what is your opinion on this situation? Obviously, they both bring different things to the table, but what does Brennan Shabbat say right here, right now? Well, I think we're actually in a similar position now as far as what Tom Izzo is dealing with with this team that we were four months ago back in November where it was a decision he had to make. And, you know, Hogard a season ago showed some flashes, but nothing – major that said he would be able to start and improve that much from year one to two. Now, obviously he has improved significantly and can start on this team for Walker. The question was, he's a fantastic scorer. He can pass the ball. Great defender. Can he make the jump though from mid major to high major? And both have kind of answered yes to that question. So now, you know, back in November it was up to Israel, just who's better, who fits better with this team. 
And I just think it's Hogard because he's more, they, they both pass the ball. Well, you know, Trent, you talked about the stats. They're both in the top 15 in the big 10 and assist to turnover. I think Walker's 12th and Hogard is fifth. Um, Hogard's second in assists in the big 10 Walker's eighth. Hogard's first in the country in assist rate Walker's 12th. So they're both kind of pass first point guards. I just think that AJ's passes more lead to buckets for Michigan state for other people. And with that, and the scoring punch that Walker provides, that's probably a little bit better off the bench. And, and that's kind of why I, I really have liked Hogard being the starter and Walker coming off the bench has been a pleasant surprise for Michigan state, how well he handled that role. And, you know, we saw him with a great game against Indiana, Illinois, Purdue, not a great game against Michigan last night. So I, I think he kind of is almost even a little bit more comfortable being the bench player, whether he'll admit it or not. I'm going to go with option C, both of them. I'm just kidding. In, though in crunch time, you know, building off your point earlier in the, the podcast, Natalie, against Illinois and against Purdue, they've played both of them with a lot of success. The ball just seems to move a lot better, and there's more shooting on the floor when both of them are in the lineup together. And you've seen that kind of become their go-to crunch time lineup, even moving Max up to the three in some instances. But I'm more with Julian and Brendan on this one. I like Hogard for a couple of intangible things as well. You know, Izzo's talked a little bit about, you know, him being a guy who can go grab somebody and kind of put him in their place when needed. I think he brings that kind of bulldog attitude and mentality that Izzo needs for kind of being an extension onto the floor for his point guard. I think he brings a little bit more upside defensively than Walker, even though Walker is a very good defensive player. I like Hogard, you know, just being physical, playing a little bit of football, walling off Jaden Ivey so many times when he's at his best, you see things like that. I don't think he's necessarily a perfect pick and roll point guard because his jumper really has a long way to go. But when he's getting downhill, he's really pretty unstoppable. But I really like playing both those two point guards together. I think next year you could both potentially see them start together when you lose someone like Gabe Brown and Joey Hauser off this team. That might be the future, but for this year, at least I'd stick with Hogard in the lineup. Um, obviously his health situation is something to monitor because he's going through a non COVID-19 illness right now. Didn't play the second half against Michigan, but playing both of them on the floor at the same time really seems to kind of give more pep to the half court. You have multiple options on the break as well. Cause Tyson's probably the best pure shooter on this team right now. I like playing both of them together a lot, but I'm definitely on the, the Hogard end of things when it comes to this debate. Well, here's the thing. You could definitely, you can talk about starting lineups all you want, but Brendan, something we've always talked about is it's not who starts, it's who finishes the game. And you could make a really good argument that Hogard and Tyson Walker would both be in there in crunch time. So that's something to watch going forward. Let's shift gears, guys. We'll close the book on the Purdue game. Let's talk about that wonderful, lovely performance last night at Chrysler where the Michigan Wolverines trounced the Michigan State Spartans 87 to 70. Hunter Dickinson drops 33, Spartans with no answer for him. Really, no one came to play for Michigan State. Let's call a spade a spade. Gabe Brown at 12 points. I think Tyson Walker at 11. But no one really made a big impact. I think Christie also at 11, but it wasn't really his night or whatever. I don't – I honestly, frankly, don't think it's even worth it to go through the stats and get into this. I just want your guys' reactions to this. How much more does this bring us back down to earth, Julian? Yeah, I mean, I'm not a take guy, but this is a game that makes you want to have a take and go score sure because it absolutely – 
like I, you know, me and my dad have a breakdown of every game after watching. He didn't even watch the game. And, you know, I was like, the best way I could summarize it is on a night where Tom Izzo can get, gets a win past Bob Knight um, on a night where you can put a knife into Michigan's tournament chances. Cause I think they need two wins to make sure they get into the tournament um, that you can do that on the home floor against your rival and no one shows up to play is ridiculous. And I think Todd, you know, Izzo said it post game. I've seen some of the quotes talking about the leadership and that it's just not there from his juniors and seniors. We're in now March. Like how is your, your leadership not there, especially from guys to me who have been in this program for a while now, like leadership shouldn't be a question. Gabe Brown should be, should be a leader. Lee Hall should be a leader at this point of the year, this point in their careers. And it just doesn't, it just doesn't make sense to me that at this point of the year, you can't get up for a game like this. And for a team that is, you know, we, we've said it before, they don't have a superstar. And they, you know, again, I don't think a team necessarily needs that. They don't need that one guy. You don't need a Johnny Davis and Ivy, whatever. But if you don't have that, you have to have energy and execute to win games. And they just, plain and simple, don't do that. They don't execute. They don't, I think the biggest thing, they don't go to the rim. They are, they're a jump shooting team that, has been in a stretch where they just can't shoot the basketball. And then when you don't do that and you don't defend on a high level, then you're just going to get torched by a team. I, and it just is, I don't know. In March, you, you can't be looking like this this one of the year. Yeah, I mean, the energy and the execution, as you said, Julian, wasn't there. And I talked about this earlier. That's what this team has struggled with, right? They won against Purdue because they had a good start to finish um, as far as just the energy levels and guys contributing. And last night, it just wasn't there. And I know you're down the road. You're in, in Ann Arbor, hostile environment. It's a maze out. It's crazy. But, man, you'd think because it's a rivalry game they'd play like they did against Purdue, right? And they'd be fired up to try and knock Michigan out. I mean, right, That's that's uh, that should be the goal. And, you know, Michigan played desperate because they were, and and they had to be, you know, they're trying to get into the tournament and, and get another statement win on their resume because that's what they need. And that's exactly what they did last night. And Hunter Dickinson, of course, tore us a new one, um, a career high for him, 33 points. He was 13 of 19 and nine rebounds. I mean, he was unstoppable and you know they won because they had contributions from Houston from Brooks Dickinson right we you know Michigan State just just didn't have that last night we weren't making shots and Michigan was hitting their shots and they played well defensively and so just uh, Michigan State looked out of sorts and didn't look like the desperate team that they needed to be they needed this win um you know this these next two weeks are huge for Michigan State and we we talked earlier about the seeding and and tournament bids and whatever but um this win was so and would have been so important for that right because we have big games coming up we got the Big Ten tournament and you know, it was just, it was disappointing to see that, you know, you'd think they would just would have came out differently, you know, right. Riding high off that Purdue win, um, you know, and Michigan's coming off the tough loss to Illinois. So it was just shocking to kind of see how things played out like that. I mean, they didn't have that energy. I am going yeah. to, I'll go ahead, Brennan. That's fine. Um, I was just going to say that a part of it too, is I think it was just Michigan's night. Terrence Williams, who has taken, I think it was 17 threes and made like seven of them or something. He was like 34% from deep on very low volume this season goes three for three to start the game. And Michigan gets stops and forces turnovers and fast breaks, which they don't do at all. They are in the 
bottom, bottom tier in college basketball at forcing turnovers. And a part of it is, you know, their ability to shoot. Brandon Johns Jr. makes two three-pointers in the game. Brandon Johns Jr. has been horrible for Michigan. A lot of fans on that side of the state have written him off. He has not panned out the way they thought he would. He's had a rough go of it. He makes some, he makes some shots. Frankie Collins usually averages about 10 minutes a game. He plays so well that he gets to play for, I think it was 17 in this game. So it was clearly Michigan's night. And that compounded with like Julian and Natalie, like you guys said, the lack of energy, the lack of leadership, really just, it was a, a recipe for disaster. And that was the result for Michigan State. And I think Hogard, who I, I have a feeling, this is just a hunch too, that Michigan State and the coaching staff, their roster, bought into Hogard being the starter the rest of the way. And we heard from Izzo after the game, not only was he sick, but he got sick Saturday after they beat Purdue. So the Sunday practice, the yesterday practice, yesterday shoot around, uh, the Monday practice. I think that might have kind of dwindled the rest of the team's spirits a little bit. I don't know how much Hogard did actually practice or not. Tom Izzo talked about they shouldn't have played him at all. Essentially, he tried to go in the first half and just couldn't. And I'm wondering if that maybe played a, a bigger role in the team's mentality pre-tip than we can kind of understand. I'm definitely going to throw myself a uh, throw a flag on myself after this game. I got way too excited about the the prospects of this team after Purdue. I was kind of like, wow, you know, they played like they did in November. Their shots went in. They were the more physical team. I was like, wow, they, they checked all my boxes off in terms of like a, a, a nice big first step in terms of getting this thing turned around. And then they go out and get pretty much punked on the road against your rival and you have Hunter Dickinson tweeting things after the game and making gestures on the floor. And really it was all warranted because they got almost 90 points hung on them in conference play. Really the inconsistency isn't the lack of focus. That's really plagued this team all season long. It's, it's not quantifiable at all. After the, the three game losing streak, I went on this podcast and said, maybe the message is not getting through. Obviously it was enough because they went out and beat a potential final four team in Purdue and then they turn around for this game right here and lose by 17 points. Once again, I think Hogard, like Brendan said, not being there really did mean a lot because of how this team has bought into what he brings in the starting lineup. And it was kind of just Michigan's night in certain ways with guys hitting shots who haven't all season long. But it seems like there are so many games this season when Michigan State's opponent just has a night like that where they shoot the lights out unexpectedly. Weird guys step up. Jacob Grandison hits five three-pointers in the first half. It's becoming just a, a strange, strange theme with this team, and it's just brutal because we were wrapping the, the broadcast yesterday, and I said, you know, this, this team is still looking for it. They're still soul-searching again. I thought it might have been over after Purdue. It obviously was not. So shame on me for getting too excited about that, but literally I don't know I don't know how you reset your expectations for this team at this point after after this loss. You thought they might have snapped out of it with the Purdue win. You, you know, you could potentially pay the path to a four or five seed. And now it's like, where are we at? It's really a game by game basis. E expectations for everything need to be completely thrown out of the window because they'll, they'll play a Purdue game or they'll play a Michigan game or they'll play a Northwestern game. or They'll play an at Wisconsin game. You really just don't know what you're getting on a night out night in basis. And that's why, 
all of a sudden the ceiling for this team is starting to creep lower and lower in my opinion. Yeah, look, I, I think as far as this question goes, I think Natalie took her little queen scepter and she overhead smashed the nail on the head. I think it was Michigan. Michigan was more desperate. Michigan needed the win more, and they went out and got it. So credit to them. And now you look at the, the problems that Michigan State actually had. It was an energy problem. As you mentioned again, Natalie, like it's just effort. They didn't come out to play. You get up 11-8, like that's okay, you're up three. And then Michigan goes on a 16-2 run. And so that's a 14-point difference. And how much do you lose by? 17. You could argue the game was lost right there. I mean, I think you'd have a very good argument. Obviously, Michigan State cut it to a dozen points a couple times in the second half. But ultimately, Michigan just wanted it more. And, and that was the story. And Brendan and Sloan, you guys talk about it was Michigan's night. I completely agree because the, the, the game plan, I think, from the first time these two teams met in East Lansing to last night, I think Michigan State played this. They tried to play the same game. Like they're going to give Dickinson his and they're going to guard the three as Michigan State is the number one three-point defense in, in the Big Ten, right? But Brendan, as you mentioned, Michigan just knocked down their threes. And it, was it maybe that simple as, hey, they're back in Chrysler and it's not in East Lansing? I don't know, maybe. But yeah, Eli Brooks was a factor in this one. There were just a lot of ways to look at it. And last but not least, before we move on, I want to give Phil Martelli his props and look, I, I, I don't I'm not super familiar with the guy, but he has stepped in. He has really gotten this team to rally. And dare I say, he's a better X's and O's coach than Juwan Howard. I don't know if I should say that because I might get punched when we go to the big 10 tournament. That's neither here nor there. So let's, let's move on though. I, I definitely want to talk about seating because this is, I where do want to add one thing, Trent. Phil Martelli oh, is the Don. He's the Godfather. <laughs> he's from Philadelphia. I wouldn't mess with him. Um, he, he's, he's probably very connected. I mean, in Martelli, you know, he, Mar, the, the Martelli, uh, the crew, he, uh, he's coached for a long time. He's a veteran, uh, you know, like, he, you know, he appeared in the Godfather maybe, and uh, he's really got this team playing pretty well right now. So, you know, I, I don't want to say too many uh, slanderous things because I don't want to eat my words literally. Yeah. Well, Hey, here's the thing uh, for him to just, uh, for any acting coach to just step in and then three games have to go face Tom Mizzo and, and really, I mean, Wap, Molly Wap, Tom Izzo's team, I mean, that is very impressive. Uh, on March 1st, which a lot of us, you know, who buy into the psyche of what month it is and stuff, um, I'm one of those guys, but whatever. Let's talk about seeding now. We've alluded to it a little bit, but I want to get everyone's take. And Julian, I'll go to you first. What seed will the Michigan State Spartans be come Selection Sunday? Yeah, I do really quickly just want to touch back on, on one last thing from that game because I think – it's one of the things that goes hand in hand with Michigan State losses. As much as it ends up being a, a team or some guy's night, they let it become that person's night. Because a lot of the things I saw was going under ball screens that you just shouldn't go under. Like, I'm pretty sure that was written in the game plan not to be going under ball screens. And here you are going under ball screens and letting threes fly. And then once a guy gets going, he's hard to stop. I and mean, it's the same thing I think of with the, the, the Iowa game. Keegan Murray should not be getting three shots, three great looks to start a game, get himself going. And then now you're staring down a great Keegan Murray game. Um, and I think that's been one of the, one of the biggest issues there. Um, as far as seeding, I think we kind of said it earlier. I think there's seven and looking at kind of a bracketology right now, kind of where some other teams are falling. You're looking at like North Carolina as a 10. I think they have more wins in terms of Purdue and Wisconsin, just a beefier resume from that point of perspective over a North Carolina a team like that team like Miami was also at that 10 line. I think at this point, actually two, still two games left and two opportunities to lose games, but I, I like the wins that state does have uh, heading into the, heading into it over teams like that. They're at the 10 right now. 
Yeah, I agree. I mean, looking at different projections from CBS and Fox and all of that, the general consensus is a seven seed. And I think I'm right there too, but I think we have to look at their next few weeks as well. If they can get wins against Ohio state and Maryland, and you know, maybe they'll run the table in the big 10 tournament, that seed could change. Um, You know, so I think it, it, the next few weeks are going to depend on where they'll end up. But for now, based on the wins that they, they do have, you know, beating Wisconsin and Madison and only losing by one to, Illinois and Champaign and the big one against Purdue. I mean, um, the statement wins that they do have, you know, I, I think a seven seed sounds about right, but I think that number could change you guys. What do you think? I mean, if they can do some big things in the next few weeks, obviously I think that seed will, you know, move. I'm not going to let you do it to me, Natalie. I'm not going to let the, the Purdue trap catch me again. It caught me the first time, but I'm not going to let you be all of a sudden like, Ooh, Ohio State just lost to Nebraska at home. Maybe they can go down there tomorrow and win. Sounds Ooh, like it Maryland sounds like you're already doing it, Sloan. It sounds like it's already happening. Sloan, I'm in the same trap as you, right? I got really like I was uh high on this team after that Purdue win. I mean, I really thought, you know, maybe they figured it out. We're going right into March. You know, the problem for Trent and I, we Trent and I gotta hang in there. We can't like let this thing go because this is all we got right here we're in the last we're in the 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 waning stages here of our careers is covering this team i i don't want i don't want to come out here and be like yeah they'll drop the ohio state game and lose in the first round of the big 10 tournament so why i keep holding on by the grace of god is because i am praying they somehow make it to the second weekend but i think everybody here has nailed it it's it's screaming seven seed right now I don't really see a world where they drop lower than that. Julian, you mentioned some of the resume wins that they have, you know, especially comparable to the North Carolinas and TCUs and, you know, Seton Halls of the world who could be kind of in that 10-ish range too. So I don't see them dropping lower than that. But Natalie, I'm going to side with you on this. They have an opportunity in front of them to go out and beat Ohio State tomorrow, who is a team that is wounded right now. They're banged up. Branham is hurt. Wheeler is hurt. They're going in a bad direction. Maryland stinks in that senior day, so they hopefully will get up for that one. And then, you know, if they were to end up being like the five in the Big Ten tournament, that's not a terrible draw. I know they'd have to play on Thursday, but they'd end up playing someone probably like, I don't know, Indiana or someone of a lower level. So it's a seven probably at a very solid floor, a ceiling of probably like still a five or six. I agree with you, Natalie, that even though – we've been saying week after week after week, the, the wins are, the games are in front of them for to continue to build their resume. They're still in front of them. So I still need to acknowledge them. So I'm with you on that. Yeah. You, you look at some of the teams who are at the five line. That's kind of where I start as I don't see Michigan state getting above the five line at all. The rest of the way, maybe they get to the five, but looking at the five teams that I've seen are Ohio state, Houston, UConn, Arkansas, I think State's better than one of those teams, maybe, and that's UConn. Um, Ohio State's also significantly going to drop. There's going to be a better team to take that place. I think the the seven seed is, like I said earlier, locked up. There's a chance they move up to the six line with two wins at the end of the season, and I think you got to get three wins in the Big Ten tournament which would be what the make it to the final then or, or semifinal. Um, but, but I don't know 
if this team has what it takes to to go on that run. We saw them win nine games in a row to start the year against, let's be honest, inferior opponents for the most part. Quality teams, well-played wins, but a lot of them too, as Tom Mizzle talked about after they lost to Northwestern, just felt like games they weren't supposed to win. You know, they didn't, they, they won, but they still didn't play the right way. And going into March, I don't have the confidence that this team can string together wins. They could have instilled it in me last night with a, a, a quality win over Michigan, but instead that they, they, they go out and they drop an egg. And so I think they're locked for the seven. And I'll tell you what, if I was an unbiased student in middle America and I see Michigan state at this seven line, that's one of those games that I'm looking at to pick as, as a 10, seven upset. Some of the 10 seeds, that I've seen, like the last one I saw from the athletics bracket watch would be Michigan State versus San Francisco. I think they'd beat San Francisco, but there are some other 10 seeds. You know, Julian, you mentioned North Carolina, Notre Dame's a possible 10 seed. I think TCU might be able to find a spot in the tournament as a 10 seed. They just beat Texas Tech and Kansas in back-to-back games. I wouldn't want to be anywhere near that, that 10 seed if I'm Michigan State. And then even if you win that game, you're going to have to likely play a two seed and any two seed this tournament is a threat to win it all, not just make the final four. Brendan, you yeah. say Notre Dame, because I'm not enlightened on this topic, but they are they making a run? Notre Dame, the ACC is strange because you can go, this is what North Carolina is. North Carolina has less losses this season than Michigan State, but the ACC is so terrible this Garbage. year. It's not, it's North Carolina lost to Pitt the other day. I think it was a week or two ago. That's a quad four loss. There is a power five school that is a quad four loss for some teams in Pittsburgh. That, that's baffling. And well, so you have so, like, so, you have Wake Forest who has like 23 wins and they're like a six right now. Yeah. It's, like, Wake, it's, well, it's going to be Duke and everybody else. Syracuse is out. I don't think UNC makes it. I think at the end of the day that they're probably going to get snubbed, even though they maybe have a chance to slip in. But even a team like, you know, Wake Forest, they I think they're one or two quad one wins this year. And one of them is against Virginia Tech, who's very barely a quad one win. So but what Notre Dame does have is they have the win over Kentucky in the non-conference. They don't have any bad losses. So they're looking like a team that's going to find their way, not very high, but at least find their way into the dance. A team that Michigan State saw a year ago. Yeah, and I think, Brendan, you're exactly – like, you you hit it. You look at some of those ACC teams, like Miami is 20-9, and nine, and yeah. that's who Michigan State is slated to play at that 10. Right shout out. In, in the bracket. <laughs> yeah. Um, but as you said, like, I just don't see the wins. Like – so as much I, I really want to be on this Optimist Caucus, and you tried to lay out the format for me. I just can't see like Ohio State because of just how injured they are. And the, I mean, we'll talk about we'll preview that game, but that one I can see. You said Maryland on senior on a senior night, terrified, terrified. Like I, I just don't give me Fats Russell just going off. Like I, I don't know what to tell you on that one. And then in the name, hell of a name. Hell of in a the, name. Oh, it's a great name. Like that dude. If I, if I had never seen him play before, you just said, yo, this dude, Fats Russell, he's a baller. I'd be like, yeah, 100%. He's a hooper. He's going to the league. Get him get number one pick. But I just right, don't well, – bringing together wins is tough. I'll okay, just say well, that 
if this team loses to Maryland on Trent and I's senior swan song, they won't. They won't. They won't. I, I might. I might never watch basketball again if that happens. You no, guys, listen, have, they're not gonna. Natalie they're not and Julian gonna. will pinch hit for us in the tournament. So Sloan, you teed me up for this. I want to bring it home before we preview the Ohio State game. I think this team is a six seed, uh, and I'm and I'm. It's not because I'm. Well, it is because I'm going to be the slappy optimist dude, but it's not for no reason. Because I think they're going to go beat Ohio State tomorrow. I think they're going to beat Maryland at home. And I think they are going to win two or three games in the Big Ten tournament. I, don't, I personally am of the belief that the Big Ten tournament doesn't matter as much in this uh, selection process, given the fact that the championship game is played literally hours before the selection show. I think it's blasphemous. Figure it out. Change it. But neither here nor there. If there's one game where you can sort of say was a blip in the road after the Purdue game, it is a rivalry, a rivalry loss on the road, right? Like you can justify that and not, not if the home loss to Northwestern had happened at that juncture, then it's like panic time, but I am still on the, on the, I'm still riding the horse of look, they beat Purdue. They got the monkey off their back a little bit. It is now March. The team does look to be like from top to bottom, a very competitive team when they're focused as Natalie says, so look, you can kind of toss out the Michigan game, go take care of business, finish the season two and zero, oh, and then we'll see what happens in Big Ten tournament play. But Brendan, you mentioned like it would take a miracle to move up to the five. I agree, but I think six is attainable. And and look, I'm I'm putting all my eggs in the Purdue basket. I understand, but that's just with a gun to my head. That's my prediction right now. So let's get into the Ohio State game because it has to start there. Julian, Michigan State traveling to take on the Ohio State Buckeyes tomorrow night. Uh, they actually left for Columbus last night after Ann Arbor on a bus. So what do you see happening tomorrow? Obviously, Ohio State coming off an eight-point loss to a horrendous Rutgers, or not Rutgers, Nebraska team. So what, what, what happens tomorrow? So I am – I like Michigan State in this game. Um, where Ohio State is at right now is just not I – mean, Luke talked about it. The injuries they have – also, the sheer fact they just do not – they're not playing defense. <laughs> and they haven't really all season, and they're not at this point in the year. Look at Maryland. Maryland shoots 42% from three, 46% from the field in that win over Ohio State, and then Nebraska as well. Uh, 39% from three, 49 from the field over the game. They're just not playing defense. And I think for a team at Michigan State right now that is a jump-shooting team that – you know, I think after a loss like this where you get spanked and Hunter Dickinson is holding his hand on the floor and Izzo saying, don't say that to me, and he did all this stuff, I think they come out with something a little different. They should. Now, the question is, this has been the most up and down, inconsistent team I think I've watched in quite some time. So who knows who really comes out on the floor? But if I'm just looking at it, I'm looking at what Ohio State is. They're injured, not playing defense. I think Michigan State has a chance to go out and get a win. I'm right there with you, Julian, and I think the fact that they took a bus ride down, Izzo was hopefully able to light him up a little bit on that on that bus ride um, last night. And you know, it's a quick 48-hour turnaround or whatever for both teams. But as you said, you know, you never know with this Spartans team this year whether it's going to be a good night or a bad night. But I think maybe they had some time to reflect last night and realize, okay, it's March now. There's no there's no time for not having energy and effort. The thing that Izzo's been harping all season and the players know it too. 
um, you know, with the injuries Ohio State has and just coming off a loss to your rival, nothing hurts more than that, especially when you're trying to knock them off. I mean, I, I hope with just all of those factors put together, just the way Ohio State hasn't been playing right they're coming off back-to-back losses the injuries that they have and Michigan coming off of a or Michigan State coming off a tough loss to Michigan uh, you know you'd like to see them come out stronger tomorrow night maybe learn from that because you know just like we're talking about they know how important these last few weeks are um, when it comes to tournament time yeah I, I Julian I don't know how tuned in you've been with us but I have not been as high on Ohio State all season I think the committee or the, the AP voters and the Buckeyes just kind of rode that Duke win all the way to like a, a steady top 16, top 20 all year and never really had much. They had a win against Wisconsin, but so did Michigan State, who fell out of the AP top 25. And, you know, some other teams beat Wisconsin that probably shouldn't have. And I, I think they just kind of rode that resounding Duke win in which they really did look like they could be a top 10 team in the country. They rode that win all year to kind of falter at the end where we realize they gave up 81 points to do. They don't play defense, you know, and now you lose, okay, you lose on the road at Maryland, but then you lose at home to Nebraska. I mean, even Michigan state beat Nebraska at home. And yes, they have injuries. Yes. They've got a lot going on. But I still don't – I just haven't been as high on this Ohio State team. And I, I think Michigan State should beat Ohio State. That's my honest opinion. I think they are on paper a better basketball team. Like I said, I, I'm not as bought into Ohio State as many people are. But at this point, like, who the hell knows? You know, who knows what team we're going to see? Who knows what Gabe Brown and what Max Christie we're going to see? And is A.J. Hogard still going to be sick? Does, like – like, what is this illness? Does he have mono where this is a three week long thing? Or is it just like a little, a little flu that, you know, he'll be over by tonight. So it, it'll really, you know, we'll, we'll have to see what, what Hogard is feeling like. I think it's bad news that he got sick Saturday and was still feeling sick last night and really couldn't go in the second half. I think that's bad news for Michigan state. He probably won't practice today. He probably won't shoot around tomorrow. Maybe they'll run him out there late and that'll be his first basketball in two days. We'll see. But I, I, I honestly, I think Michigan State should win, but, but, but we have no idea who's going to show up. All right, so Ohio State. I'll let the record show that last night I told Brendan to take Nebraska in the points against Ohio State. He did not listen to me. And instead, what did I do? What did I do? I took, I took Providence plus nine, Arizona minus four, Wisconsin plus three, and Michigan State money line. How many of those hit? Three of them. That's tough. Hey, one eight hundred gambler, more, if you have a problem, shout out to more, our listeners. More <laughs> egg on my face. So Ohio State, they have a brother of former Spartan, a person you two covered, Kyle Arns. Justin Arns is on their team, and I once rode in an elevator with the Arns grandparents. So that's my Ohio State connection. It was two thousand nineteen. So you've got the I, Buckeyes by thirty. Is that what I'm hearing? <laughs> No, I tell you, hold on. there's I will... nothing I've missed more than Luke Sloan giving me the best story of all time. Whether he's in an elevator, he's just been next to someone, and that's why he's going to pick the game like this. See, the, it all. Oh, I'm going to weave. I need a. We, I'm weaving a web here. So in 2019, I covered Michigan State, Ohio State with one Kyle Turk at the Value City Arena, 
horrible name, horrible name. And after the game was over, Michigan State had won. Actually, no, they had lost, pardon me. And we were riding down the elevator with the Arns grandparents. Fine, fine folks. But my point here is that the elevator in Value City Arena, and really the arena in general, was a crummy place with no home court advantage. And I think that's going to be a large factor in this game. Uh, this Ohio State team is dead, is playing dead right now. They're very banged up. Sleepy kind of Thursday night tip off in Columbus. I see this being ugly. I see Michigan State coming out with a win. But I this could be a game where both teams don't necessarily shoot the ball that well. But I think Ohio State's injuries kind of trump Michigan State's at this point. Hogard's status is a big factor. I still see them getting a win, even if he is not a full go. If he is, though, I feel a lot more confident in my pick. But Ohio State is just trending in a really, really bad direction. You mentioned it really well, Julian, not defending well at all. Offensively, they kind of have some similar problems to Michigan State, where they definitely have more horses than the Spartans and people like EJ Liddell. But a lot of inconsistency guys won't show up necessarily. EJ Liddell, he'll fade every now and again. And I mean, flat out, Nebraska is a bad, bad, bad basketball team. And to lose to them at home, I mean, that that would send me, if I was on that team, into a shockwave for like a week. So once again, even though I picked Nebraska in the points yesterday, shout out my brain, I suppose. I, uh, I don't see Ohio State coming out with the win here. I got the Spartans in a dog fight. I think it could be a potential race to 65, one of those type of games. And that's nothing necessarily against the Ohio State defense. I don't, they're, they're poor defensively right now, but that's more of a half empty arena, weird shooting nights. I, I just see this game being strange and, and headache inducing and a win for Michigan State. So Value City Arena stinks. I see this game as a carbon copy of Michigan State's win over Indiana at home. I think it's going to be nip and tuck for a while, and then the Spartans pull away late because they're ultimately going to be the better team. Now, something that I like to do on this podcast is I like to call, I don't want to say call out, but kind of predict who the difference maker is going to be for the Spartans. I think it's Malik Hall tomorrow. And the reason for that is I think the one way Ohio State can really beat you is if EJ Liddell completely goes off. And now you can say, look, Trent, he posts up. He's a big man. Yeah, but he kind of stretches the floor a little bit. And I think Malik Hall is going to get that assignment for the most part. I could be completely wrong about that. But hey, when I, uh, when I predict Marcus Bingham games, I don't do very well. So I'm going to say I think Malik Hall has a big game tomorrow. I don't know what it looks like necessarily. I don't know if he necessarily goes off scoring-wise. But I think he holds Liddell in check. And like you said, Luke, I think you know Tyson Walker really controls the tempo. And this team just gets a must-needed win. So I will say this, uh, something I noticed, consensus quake. We all have the Spartans win. Therefore, we all have the Spartans passing, or excuse me, Tom Izzo passing Bob Knight tomorrow for all-time Big Ten wins. Is that correct? We're all on board with that. I'm getting yes, a lot sir. of head nods. I feel like a professor. Okay. Well, well, with that, this has been the Impact Izzo. Do you guys have any parting thoughts? Julian and Natalie, thank you so much for joining us. Oh, thanks. Thanks for, for having me. Um, this was great. This was the, I missed this and I needed, I feel like, you know, I'm sitting here in Minnesota. I need an outlet for my Michigan state. I just sit and watch and then go to work. And like, no one, like the guy I work with in sports is a Miami guy. So he's all ACC. He just has no, just doesn't get the big 10. I'm like, dude, this right here, uh, a lost Northwestern in the middle of the year. Like, this is what I live for. I live for this. Um, so it, it's been good to sit here and, and, and chop it up with you guys. 
Oh, I know. I've missed you guys so much. This has been great. I mean, this was my favorite part of senior year was joining Impact. And I was in it part of my junior year, too, but was doing the women's basketball stuff. So being able to move to men's has been incredible. And I, I just miss you guys. You do such a fantastic job. And it's just so good to catch up and be able to talk Spartan basketball. You know, I mean, there's nothing better. And uh, I just miss you guys. Royal compliments from the queen. Go ahead, Julian. I'm going to make the guarantee here right now. We're going to make a statement on this podcast. Michigan State goes to the Final Four, live Impact Izone, alumni Impact Izone. <laughs> hey, I, uh, look. We're going to New Orleans. <laughs> I know. We're, we are going to New Orleans. We got to do this one in person. We got to fly you guys out there if that happens. Yeah, if that happens, you no, 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 no. They're coming with us if that happens. You guys are just Natalie, coming with us. That, that would be outstanding. A little like. We'll do this just in person in a like an establishment in the French Quarter, or maybe we'll be eating like beignets or something. But Natalie, Julian, you guys are the the poster children for what it means to be a a member of WDBM. You both are fantastic people. That's that's the like the common denominator. You both grinded when you were at WDBM, made a lot of friends, did a lot of really cool stuff, covered a lot of really good teams. And then you've taken that experience and really brought it into the professional world, maintain your connections back in East Lansing. Uh, you have not been strangers. Obviously, you are back on this podcast, so you didn't uh, go and get famous and then forget everybody who you were with at WDBM. But I just want to say for all the, the young broadcasters listening out there, these two are the gold standard. They're passionate about what they do. They're good people. And uh, if you give them a follow because they are, like I said, the gold standard. Yeah, I, I got to echo both of what you and uh, Luke, what you and Trent said. And it's been a lot of fun, you know, because I, I came into Impact as a freshman when Julian and Natalie, you two were on the uh, on the beat as your senior year. And um, the first impression I really had of you guys was when it was spring break. It was the last game of the season, which we didn't think it was going to be before the world ended against Ohio State. And I got a ticket last minute from kai <clears throat> kai winston and didn't have a way to get to the game though and julian you were an ra at acres where i lived ran into you in the lobby and you said hey do you need a ride so i hitched a ride with you guys it was uh you three and me and um that was one of my favorite michigan state memories getting to go to that game so i'll forever be grateful for that and you know then we've seen natalie at you know different events and games around the year and julian you've reply to us on, on our standups and, and, and kept up with us. And it's been cool to see that you guys are big time and professional, but not, not too big time for impact. Oh yeah. Never too big time. I mean, you guys have said so much nice stuff about us, but like, I gotta say nice stuff about you guys. Cause I mean, I've seen say Luke Trent and as you said, you, you came in your freshman year. I mean, I've seen you guys grow and get better. And I mean, Luke talked about the pipeline, like, I don't know. I guess, guess we are the gold standard because Natalie and I got out and are doing what we're doing now. And obviously she is the, the queen of the Motor City. Like that's easy, like whatever. But I mean, you guys have like pushed the standard so far and above anything that we've done. You guys have turned, when I tell people, uh, you know, what I did in the station that I worked at, it is as glorious as it is because you guys took it to that next level. Yeah, you guys really, I mean, if we are, we're like the team before Mark D'Antonio took him to the college football playoff. Like, like we were cool, nice, like sick. You did good. But like you were just, you guys have really set the standard and, and raised it. You guys are going to be 
so good in, in, in what you're headed to next. I'm so excited to, to see you guys. Well, and I do, I need to throw a flag. You're, you're, you guys are, you're calling yourselves the, like the Mark Jackson Golden State Warriors here. Yeah, but, exactly. But you guys, no, you guys are better than the Mark Jackson Golden State Warriors. Oh, like Baron Mark Davis. Like, Barrett, uh, you have me at Baron Davis. Look, look, it has been, we could sit here and throw compliments back and forth forever. The bottom line is impact kicks ass. I think I'm allowed to say that. Uh, so I will sign us off. I'm Trent Valley for Brendan Shabbat, Luke Sloan, Natalie Coeen Kerwin. Did you want to give one more thought, Natalie? I did. Yeah. Okay, I, was, go for it. I was waiting to jut in, but you guys are all giving your comparisons and who we are. So. <laughs> um, Julian hit the nail on the head with everything, but I just have to say, I wouldn't be where I am. And I'm sure Julian agrees completely without joining WBBM. I was so grateful that I even had the opportunity to be on the beat as a girl. Like, I mean, Amanda Poole followed in my footsteps before me, another great impact alum, but man, it, it was so special to be able to go on the men's beat. It's a very coveted beat, of course. I mean, men's basketball, men's football. And I was very lucky to get that chance and meet all of you wonderful people. I mean, I, I still talk about you guys all the time. I'm, I was, I'm actually at home right now. And I was talking to my parents, like just a little bit ago, I'm like, I'm actually going upstairs to hop on the impact is on. They're like, Oh, with Trent and Julia and all those guys. I mean, I've talked about you guys so much, even to my family and how much of an impact, no pun intended, you've had on me. <laughs> and, you know, I'll just, I'll never forget that. Like the kindness that you guys have shown me and Julian, I'm sure you can agree to, and just the talent that you guys have. I've also seen you grow, right? I, I've been around you guys the last few years and just Trent, your articles and Luke, Brendan, the way you've called games and just your post-game standups. I watch all of them and I read all of these articles and I'm not going to lie. I'll, I'll, I'll read and I'll listen and I take pointers from you guys and I'll try to use them in my standups and like the, my takes on the air because I mean I don't know everything yet I'm, I'm still learning I'm still young in this career but you guys have so much knowledge and I, I learn from you guys believe it or not whether you want to believe on that but I learn from you guys and I'm so excited to see where the three of you go in your careers one day because you are so talented and we're all here for each other and I just love that so impact crew forever I just had to throw that out there we're, absolutely we're when we're in our 50s, we're going to have a meetup in, like, Los Angeles or somewhere warm. <laughs> yeah, we're going to get the band back together. We'll have, like, families and kids and stuff. A couple more thoughts. Number one, Julian, I want you to address what you just put in the chat. That is very, very important. <laughs> what did he put in the chat? <laughs> oh. I had to let everyone know. I mean, Brennan shows up in the game day fits. And I think no matter what the result of the game is, when I go and see that, I feel much better about my day. The, the one he had yesterday in the in the rival bathroom, shoe on the just let everybody know like yo, I'm coming in here dripping they, out. This team may not come in with energy, but I'm coming in with energy. They they didn't they didn't give me the full length mirror at Michigan, so I had to make do and make sure everybody saw the shoe that I haven't worn yet this year because I'm running out of pairs to wear new for games. But I, I appreciate it. It means a lot. It means a lot. Brendan is the best dressed member of the beat, and I don't think it's even close. I look like uh, I'm going. To, I look like I'm going to funerals most of the time, and I look so, like I'm about to golf at a country club. That's what I look like. So yeah, your button up strap. Yeah, I just they, I wear like they, short sleeve button ups, Hawaiian shirts. Like, I'm hey, that's just, the writer's fit. We don't. We yeah, do they, not criticize the writer's fit. They, they fit our. They fit our personalities perfectly. Wait, so so Brendan, what is this picture you guys are talking about? I didn't see this. I don't, you must not be on my Snapchat if, because I've, I've done it. It's something I've done this year where I've just been really snarky and obnoxious about whatever outfit I'm wearing. 
and, and post it on my Snapchat as as the the fit check usually for for men's home games. I try to do it for road games if when we're there and, and stuff like that. And so that's what I I did last night in in the in the Michigan bathroom about. 35 minutes before tip, <laughs> I ran down there and made made sure I got I got my picture but yeah hey you can't spell WDBM without obnoxious we got we got a little bit of Dennis Rodman in us we got a little bit of spunk little not that Grayson yeah. Allen spunk like the cool spunk so yeah well looks like I gotta get your snapchat then Brendan because I haven't seen yeah. it please yeah yeah, that'll be first order of business as soon as we sign off here. But hey, look, we are so thrilled that you guys could join us. We are so thrilled to continue to watch you guys thrive and kick ass in the real world. We, the three of us, Brendan and Luke and I, will just continue to try to do our best. And hopefully someday we'll join you guys right in the workforce. But Julie and Natalie, thank you for joining us. For, for Trent Valley, Luke Sloan, Brennan Schmidt, Natalie Kerwin, and Julia Mitchell. What a star-studded uh, mouthful that was. Uh, this has been the Impact Dizone. This has been Impact Is Own. For more, visit impact89fm.org forward slash sports.